Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, treats me like commodity. Back on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old don't know value Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, which is the desirability of the customer outcomes that they get when they do business with you. Today, I'm thrilled to have Tim Rohrer, uh, my guest. He's in San Diego. Tim, welcome. Hey, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Tim has had a life in uh, sales, marketing, advertising, um, and he wrote the book, The Sales Lessons from the World's Greatest Mentor. Um, Available where, Tim? How do we get a hold of it? Yeah, exclusively on Amazon. Just uh, look it up by title, Sales Lessons of the World's Greatest Mentor, or by my name, Tim J.M. Rohr. Here's what it looks like, the cover. Super. And um, so, I mean, it's a really nice, quick, light read, which talks, it's all stories from uh, about mentors and the lessons you learned. So tell us a little bit about um, the process, why you wanted to write it, um, and what it means to you to have written it. So the reason why I wanted to write the book was as an homage, if you will, uh, a tribute to my mentor, Dick Harlow. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Dick Harlow was my first general manager at uh, the radio station I worked at in Charlotte, North Carolina, back in the early 90s. And I had a 20-year career in radio. So I can tell you I had a lot of general managers during that time. And even though he was the first, he was also the best. And he was the best because he really cared about my success. And so I wanted to write the book as a way to pay him back for all that he did for me by telling everybody who would be willing to listen to my stories or read the book that um, he was the greatest mentor of all time. You know, that's really great. Pay it back, but you're also paying it forward because the lessons that you learned, you filtered those lessons through a life experience to find out of all the lessons he taught you, how they were valuable and why they were valuable. And so sorting that out for people helps people distill that mentor's lessons into your life lessons. I I I think that's great that you get to use that as lessons to a younger generation. Yeah, what I tried to do was, <clears throat> I think we, we lost the we lost the connection there for a second. I'll be able to edit spotty audio okay. out. Don't worry about it. Your video has gone in and out a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna just go go keep going. I will. Uh, there. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So I wrote the book in story form because it's been my experience that people learn best from stories and people stay more engaged in stories. And so I told the stories about how I learned the lessons instead of just telling the lessons themselves. Because we've all read lots of books about sales. And one of the great challenges uh, when reading a sales book is, is trying to get through it, you know, trying to understand the lesson that the author is trying to convey because the author has got really valuable information, but they don't always present it in a way that is easy to receive. And yeah. so I thought I would, I would write stories that, frankly, if you just read the stories and didn't read the lessons, it's still kind of a fun read, you know. It's me and Dick going to lunch and me and Dick going out on sales calls and me and Dick get the golf course. And all these things, you know, happened over the course of three years. And when I was recounting them for the book, I tried to put them in the order in which it, in which a new salesperson would learn lessons. And wow. so that, that's really how I constructed the book is like, you would learn this lesson before you would learn that lesson. So I had to I had to reorder the stories. The stories didn't necessarily happen in this chronological chronological order that I have them in the book. So I had to rework them so that it made sense for a person who's trying to distill the lessons. Sure. I mean, um, and that meant, you know, having written my own book, that that means imagining the journey of a young sales puppy um, and what things they're going to need to how to build that competence, that sales competence up from the, the base up. So what are some of your favorite stories? Not necessarily the first stories, but what are some of the favorite stories you had? Well, the favorite one for me to write was about how to build relationships. Dick taught us that relationships are built on the twin pillars of credibility and trust. And he put together a sales meeting that was so emotional uh, that it was incredibly memorable. I mean, I remember it 30 years later, right? And so that was my favorite lesson to, to write because I found as I was writing it, I got emotional all over again, just remembering, you know, how it was he taught us that, that you build relationships through through trust and credibility. And I don't want to give away the ending, um, but hopefully it makes some people cry when they when they read that book. Well, you know, I I really resonate. That really resonates with me. I I was a sales trainer for a big sales training company for many, many years. And we talked about credibility and you'd, you'd see a lot of salespeople come in and you'd ask, you know, what do people buy? And there's always somebody saying, Oh, they buy me. And I would say, no, slavery is illegal. <laughs> um, that relationship is really important, but let's, let's break relationship up because there's, personal affinity, which is, you know, we do whiskey and tickets together. I know their kids' birthdays and their names and, you know, uh, what kind of, you know, their how they order their steak and all that stuff, the personal affinity stuff. We all know salespeople who are cold fish have none of that, who are really high performing salespeople. Yes. So maybe that's optional. I, I started saying, no, that's optional, but it's actually not always optional there are some customers who really kind of insist on that um some is like and so for the customers who need that kind of relationship that personal affinity portion you got to do as well as you can so you have to be a chameleon even if you're normally a cold fish but the other part is credibility that you'll do what you say you do and 
there's not a single salespeople who's salesperson, successful salesperson who doesn't have credibility, who a customer doesn't trust. So credibility is the coin of the realm. It's not optional. And um, compelling ways to make that case of the the importance of credibility, uh, especially in, in you know in some instances in some kind of sales environments more than others, but it's always always that credibility and trust is. That's critical, right? I mean, it's the keystone. So it's interesting that you talk about affinities, right? So the relationship is not about whether or not you and I both like youth soccer, right? Or whether or not we're both golfers, right? So one of the lessons that Dick taught was you you can't go in and talk about just banal commonalities. That's another one of the lessons in the book is beware the commonality, right? So I walk into your office and I see a lot of books and I and I say, oh, you're a voracious reader and I want to talk to you about reading, but you want to get on with the business at hand and you don't want to talk about the books that you've read because you don't have time to talk about that now. So I think I'm building a relationship, but I'm not bringing any value to the relationship for you. And so you reject that because it's a banal commonality. And what Dick said was the value of the relationship to the buyer, to the to the person who's interested in learning more about what it is you offer that that solves a problem for them, that that is the value of the relationship for them. And you want to get to that through being a credible provider, a credible person that that could be a trusted advisor. Right. And that's what they're trying to find out is like, can this person be a trusted advisor for me? Can I add them to my board of directors, so to speak? Right. Yeah. And they're not trying to find another friend. And this is where the difference lies. Like you're talking about your cold fish example. Well, people find a value in the relationship with that person, probably because they're really good at bringing business solutions to business problems. Yeah. So trusted advisor. There's a that's a overused phrase, and a lot of people think they are, but aren't. Yeah, it's, yeah, right. It's there's a trusted advisor has its own Dunning Kruger effect. I don't <laughs> know if you know what the Dunning Kruger effect is. Tell me about it. Uh, Dunning Kruger is uh, famous psychology stuff that people of lowest of like of low abilities, the lower your abilities, the higher you think you are have, and the higher ability you think you have. Oh, that's all right. To, to be really, to be really snarky, it's like you, when you're so stupid, you don't know you're stupid, <laughs> right? And but what they discovered was that the people with the lowest abilities thought they were the they were the ones who thought they were above average. The people who wow. were average thought they're average, and and so there's a lot of people who think I'm a trusted advisor who just aren't. <laughs> yeah, and so did. Do, do you talk a little bit about what it takes to be a trusted advisor? What does that mean? Yeah, what it means is that you're solving problems, right? So a trusted advisor is a person who who digs into the business to understand the challenges of the business and to try to figure out what the problems are. And that's where they add value is they say, okay, I understand the problem because I've studied the problem and not just your problem, but I've studied similar problems at similar size businesses who do similar things. And I have a long history of solving these problems and I can solve this problem in these two or three different ways. And I want to talk to you about that. And therein is the basis of the relationship, right? It's 
as somebody's experiences in solving similar problems and identifying those problems in your business and getting you to agree that those are in fact some of your challenges and then going forward from there and not yeah. starting with my problem is I have to achieve my goal. And so therefore I need to sell you this thing. If, if you start from that position, you're, you're never going to be a trusted advisor because you've got your interests uh, at heart, right? As opposed yep. to the interests of the, of the partner buyer. Yeah. I, I talk about this trusted expert sale a lot because a lot of my clients um, really need that. They're in that end of the spectrum where the customer really is unfamiliar with what it is you're selling. It's risky to them. It's new to them. It's complex to them. Right. And those kind of customers, even in this world of, I went and self-educated on the internet before talking to a salesperson, 21% of, of the customers in B2B still call a salesperson when they're trying to figure out their own situation mm. before even generating alternatives. And so that salesperson has to do exactly what you said. They have to understand your business, not maybe, maybe not better than you do, the customer does, but in ways that the customer doesn't. Because your customer kind of is probably an animal of one of their specialties. If they're in sales, they know the sales silo really well. If they're in HR, they know the HR silo really well, but they don't know how the eight sales and HR silos connect and what the failings are and what common, what common, you know, what companies commonly fail between sales and HR, between sales and marketing. And so if you as a trusted advisor say, I solve this all the time for my clients and he's, these are the kinds of problems I see. Do any of those resonate with you? Yeah. Okay. There are, as you said, there's, Here's two, maybe three ways we can solve this. Let's let's figure it out together which one of these we would like to do. Yeah, it is interesting because sometimes people in a business are so wrapped up in the business that they don't really know what it looks like from the outside. So they study it and they work in it and they're in it and they're experts at it, but they don't really see it from an outside-in perspective because they can't because they're inside out, you know? Yeah. And so if you're so a trusted advisor is a person who's outside looking in, but they're not just looking in at your business, they're looking in at your business category and their expertise is in how your business and your competitors' business have been solving problems for consumers. And they can give you some advice that maybe you would never think of on your own. Exactly. I I uh, I think that's super important. You know, I saw some research from Gartner, a big research house that yeah, said. Familiar. Um, in B2B, customers said 85% of salespeople don't understand me or my business. Only 15% understand me and my business. Wow. And of the 85 that don't understand me or my business, only 3% of salespeople actually rise to the level of trusted expert. Yeah, what an opportunity for the other 97%, huh? Yeah, and think about that. Remember I said 21% of customers invite salespeople in wanting a trusted expert. Right. So the, the demand is 21%. The supply is 3%. <laughs> yeah, that's a great opportunity for sure. So um, I, I think mentorship and getting people to slow down and... Um, Slow down and having a mentor who kind of taught you that. And I can see from all the awards, the awards behind you, that uh, it's something that uh, has 
turned out pretty well for you. What are some of the other lessons that um, really I impacted you that you'd like to share? Well, the first lesson I talk about in the book is presentation is everything, right? And what my mentor, Dick Harlow, did for us was he didn't just put together a presentation that talks about how important presentations are. He did a presentation in real time. And then at the end, the lesson was obvious. And this is what Dick was an expert at, is he wouldn't say to you, I'm about to teach you about presentations. He would just go ahead and do the presentation. And in this particular instance, he was, he was demonstrating to us that a Mont Blanc pen and a Bic pen wrote very similarly, if not indistinguishably, right? Same ink, same writing, same message on the paper. But the difference was that the Mont Blanc pen presented an image of the person who owned it and presented it, an image that you would want to convey to, to, your, to your buyers, to your customers, you know? And the point is that the Mont Blanc pen is worth more because of the way it's presented um, in its lacquer box and with its um, instructions that come in seven languages. And he was trying to tell us that if we could present ourselves in a way that differentiated us from everybody else, we would automatically have more value. And so to gain more value, presentation is everything. And that's lesson number one in the book. And if you can learn that lesson, right, then it informs all the other ways you behave. Because yep. when you go out there, you're you're doing things that look different and feel different. And like people are more attracted. They're like, I don't know what it is about that guy, but I want him to be a part of what we're doing. That's pretty cool. Um, so what do you hope for for this book? Well, the number one thing I hoped for has already come true. And that was to reconnect with, with my old boss, Dick Harlow. You know, I, we hadn't talked in, in two decades and we didn't really have a reason to talk other than the fact that we had this shared history, but it was a short history. We were only together for three years, right? Pretty short amount of time when you sure. consider that I, I look at him as the most important influence in my professional career. And yet I had never told him any of that. And so my hope was that I was going to write this book and I was going to send him a copy and we were going to reconnect and we were going to start having regular conversations. And he was going to tell me it was super cool that I wrote a book because people were now calling him out of the blue and, and quoting the book. And all that has happened. All that has come true. And it's just it's just awesome. That's really great. Um, what does he do now? He's still in media. So he is the uh, chief operating officer of a small broadcasting company in North Carolina. They own about uh, 20, 20 radio stations in some of the smaller markets around there, like in uh, New Bern, North Carolina and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That's great. And yeah. um, is, is this something that you'd like to see um, sales teams kind of put into their rotation? You know, there's there are some sales teams in the world that are kind of book of the month club, right? Yes. Uh, a, a CRO reads a book that had some impact for them and they say, everybody's got to get this book. Is that is that kind of on the on the table for you? Ask yeah, I would love for that to be the case. You know, uh, one of the things I noticed about the book is it's, it's, um, it's sales meeting material for sales managers for the next year, right? One of the great challenges for sales managers is what do I talk about this week in my sales meeting, right? They don't yeah. want to be boring. They don't want to be repetitive. 
and they don't want to waste a meeting. They want to, they're going to gather the people together and they're going to try to impart some wisdom. Well, this is meeting prep for a whole year. So one of my goals is that sales managers will buy the book and they'll distribute it to their team. And then each week when they have their sales meeting, they'll take one of the lessons and they'll say, how does this apply to our business? How can we use this lesson to improve our performance? So that is definitely one of my goals. That's great. Uh, any um, speaking, public speaking kind of goals? Yeah. So the first thing that I'm doing, I, I've lined up several uh, sales meetings at radio stations. I'm going to go and basically do the sales meeting as a, a guest sales manager, and I'll pick a lesson from the book and uh, I'll teach it and I'll take, I'll take questions. And then what I hope to do is leverage that into larger speaking engagements to bigger groups where I get to tell my stories in front of, in front of sales teams and, and impart the wisdom that, that my mentor imparted to me. That's great. Um, do you do you have like the sales meeting in a box? Like, do you have the cookbook for the sales meeting with some of the ex excerpt? You know, here's buy, go out and buy this these materials, and here's the here's here's how you do it. Is it broken down that simply so you could actually just put a sales meeting in a in a can for a sales leader? I I, I can do it. I haven't done it yet. One of the things I'm thinking about doing is creating. 26 sales lessons. Um, so it's one every other week for the next year, right? And then providing that as as bonus material on my website. Don't don't get too excited because I haven't done it yet, but I am going to do that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna provide it as bonus material for any sales manager who buys at least like a dozen books or something. That's great. Um you could actually, I think that's probably something you could charge extra for. Um okay. I, because sales, sales leaders do want to have great high impact sales meetings and they also want the, an easy button. So if you can say, here is a great sales meeting done for you, all you have to do, we, we provide you the script and the choreography, you just make it your own. Uh, this will be a great meeting. Um, I think there's something there. Well, that's a great idea. You know, Dick taught me never to waste a sales meeting. He says sales meetings are a critically important time. You're going to get your people together. And, and when it's done, they need to be better. They need to be able to go out and perform at a higher level. He said, and that's your job is to, is to create an environment in which your salespeople can perform at a higher level. And that's what the sales meeting is for. He says, so don't make the mistake of doing something in a sales meeting that you should be doing individually one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. So for example, I've been in many, many, many sales meetings where the sales manager will go around the room asking each person individually about their projections. Yep. So what sort of things do you have coming up this week? You know, And so they're engaged with one person and they've got a dozen people at the table and the, the other 11 are zoned out. And Dick taught me, have a one-on-one -on -one with each of your people to talk about projections. Don't talk about something that's meant for any individual one person when you have the group together. Let yep. it be about the group. You know, the value of the meeting is in delivering a group message. So he taught me all kinds of ways to stay engaged with the group. And, and one of them was uh, play music at the beginning of every meeting. And I, and I still do that today because it gives people a chance to 
kind of warm up to the meeting, right? Yeah. They can be chatting amongst themselves while the music is playing. And they know, they all know that when the music ends, the meeting starts, yeah. right? So you've got two minutes left to do your chatting and catch up and get your coffee and, you know, spread some cream cheese on that bagel and adjust your chair, whatever it is you're doing. When the music ends, the meeting starts. And when the meeting starts, it's going to be about them. That's great. Uh, absolutely love um, that you've really captured a great mentor who meant so much in your life. Uh, and you're turning that into um, actionable how to be a great mentor, how to be a great sales leader. I, I think that's a that that's something that's really needed in the uh, sales book space. So hats okay. off. Congratulations. How do people get a hold of it again? Well, it's really easy. First of all, here's the cover. There's my name. And if you're on audio, it's Sales Lessons from the of the World's Greatest Mentor by Tim J.M. Rohrer. R-O-H-R-E-R-E-R. Yep, R-O-H-R-E-R. Available on Amazon. Or if you want to go to my website, timjmrohrer.com, you can download this handy-dandy three reasons why your remote sales force is underperforming and five easy steps to fix it. So that's bonus material on the website, free to everybody, easy to download. Super. And how do people get a hold of you, Tim? They can uh, they can write to me at tim at timroar.net. That's T-I-M-R-O-H-R-E-R.net. Uh, or they can call me, 619-643-9174. I answer my phone. Pacific time zone, everybody. Right, San Diego. All right. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Um, hats off on the book. Really looking forward to uh, sharing the sharing this episode with people. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customers' minds. So sales, sales leadership is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Go out and have a high-value day. Well, it ain't easy, because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, because you'll be singing those old don't-know-value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.